we come to you tonight, we desire right now just to be our ears open. And sometimes at the end of the day on Wednesday, we can be tired. We come to you. We come to you. Some have come in, haven't even had dinner. So help us be attentive now for um, these next few moments. Help us to be encouraged and blessed and uplifted. We want to feed upon your word. And Lord, as we look at these Psalms of David, as we look at these golden Psalms, uh, as in the titles it tells us, that we may just uh, marvel once again at your great faithfulness and your love for us, your provision, and Lord, how we can trust in you in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. So Lord, encourage us, help us to be settled in our seats, our cell phones are off and and, um, are in silence, so uh, we can be just free to hear you and your word going forth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So this section of the book of Psalms that we're going to be in tonight, in, in chapters 56 through 60, these five chapters, that in the title that you're going to see, they, they first of all are Psalms of David, written uh, by David in different times of his life. And one of the things that uh, we see about David's life is we read uh, his story in First and Second Samuel and First Chronicles, is David was a man that truly was called a man after God's own heart. And in the Psalms that we've studied of David so far, we have seen that truly he was a man after God's own heart. And we're going to continue to see this tonight. And David was one, the greatest king of Israel. He was a, a great warrior. David had people that were very committed to him. They stood by him. They were committed to him. They were loyal to him. But David also in his life, he had a whole bunch of people that hated him. And a whole bunch of people that came against him. And and we see that, obviously, in the situations in David's life. As he ran from Saul, there were times where Saul had 3,000 men that were coming after David. And also, during the time where David, you know, had the throne, his son trying to usurp the throne away from him. In 2 Samuel chapter 15 and and other times that David experienced difficult hardships and and those coming against him and violent men and, and people that wanted to kill him and pursued him. You see, it didn't just last for a short season. David was pursued by Saul in the prime of his life for about 12 years, from the time he was about 18 years old to the time that he was 30. We know that he would take the throne uh, as he was the king of Judah uh, initially at the age of 30, and then eventually all the 12 tribes would be under his authority as the nation was united, but he would be king for a total of 40 years till he was 70 years old. But initially, as it would be Samuel the prophet that came to Jesse's house there in 1 Samuel, as, as you read, and anointed David as the new king, David didn't take the throne right away. It would be years later, and, and God was doing a work in David. And as we read these Psalms, we see that very clearly, that God was growing David and growing his faith. And David was a man that was learning such incredible, important truths and precepts and, and things that that you and I need to to learn as we go through these psalms. And it was the Lord that was preparing David 
to be the greatest king that Israel would ever have. He was growing David in his trust of the Lord. He was growing David in his dependency of the Lord. He was humbling David. And of course, that's what we're going to see as we go through these next five Psalms here. And you'll notice that in the title, in this one, in, in Psalm 56, to the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands, uh, a mitchtam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. The next five uh, songs here, or, or psalms, are the title Mitchtam in it. And it is kind of difficult, that word Mitchtam, uh, in the Hebrew to translate. There are some scholars that have translated it to mean a silent psalm. And in other words, that David, as he's in this situation, as we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it was just right after Saul has started to pursue David to take his life. And, and David would go to the priests of, of Nod, uh, their Ahimelech, and he received the holy bread as you read that chapter. And one of those psalms that we studied last week concerned that situation as, as it was then uh, the priests of Nod that were killed uh, by the hands of, of uh, Doeg and uh, by the command of Saul. And, and it was a very difficult time for David. So after that, he flees to the area of the Philistines, to the city of Gath, and, and there he's captured. And we know that in a previous psalm, in Psalm 34, he would write about that, that experience, how he pretended to be insane as they captured him. And, and of course, he would be very much afraid. You see, he would go into the area of the Philistines to get away from Saul. And he did it twice. He did it at the end of 1 Samuel when he had his 400 you know, men with him, or his mighty men at that time. It may have been 600 at the time at the end of 1 Samuel. He had those men that were committed to him. When he went to Gath, they accepted him, and, and David was there uh, dwelling in that area for a while. But this time that he's writing about, he's all alone. And Saul is pursuing him, and he's afraid, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He can't go back to Israel, and it is so bad, he goes to the enemy's territory. He goes to Gath. Now, that rings a bell with you, one of the major cities of the Philistines, but who is from Gath? Goliath. Goliath, the champion of Gath. And so he's there, and they capture him. And so David here, perhaps, and in these next psalms that are ahead that we're going to read, uh, Mitchum, a silent psalm, these are the things that are the songs that were written on his heart as he would later then express it as he took pen to paper and would write them down. Perhaps that's what it could mean, but also it is translated by a lot of scholars, the Mitchtam, to mean golden, and, and these are golden to David. In other words, kind of like golden oldies. These are very special, and, and David would look back at these times, and he would uh, remember how the Lord was growing him. Here's one of the things that we do learn from David's life experiences, that as he was in difficult situations and, and very difficult times, and having all those people come against him and desiring to put him to death, pursue him through the wilderness, and he lost his family. It, it, you know, his family would have to go over to Moab, and, and, and he wouldn't see his family, and, and all those things that he went through, that David learned to trust the Lord and continue to praise the Lord. And as I read these psalms, I want to be more like that. And as I look at his life, I know that David was one that he experienced the goodness of the Lord and he experienced the, the fellowship of the Lord in a deeper way 
uh, as he just turned to the Lord and put all of his trust in him. And I think that's why David was a man of humility. He never, David, really tried to elevate himself. There was one time where he numbered the people. He thought that my strength is in all my soldiers, and the Lord brought a plague. And he realized right away as he confessed his sin before the Lord, that, Lord, that I have done wrong. So David here, writing this Mitchtam here, in this situation of 1 Samuel chapter 21, let's begin to look at it, as he writes, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. In verse 3, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Now, isn't it interesting? Because sometimes I've heard Christians say that David never really got afraid. I mean, he took on Goliath. And you remember the story of Goliath, that as David was even too young to be in the army, that he comes from Bethlehem up there to the valley of Elah, and and there is the children of Israel, the army of Israel on one side, there's the Philistines on the other, and the giant Goliath, you know, is stomping up and down the valley challenging, you know, anyone to come out and fight him. And he's there. And and I imagine not only is he about nine feet tall, he's huge. The head of his spear is about 25 pounds. This guy was mean, and I think he was probably ugly. And he was one that, you know, the, the people trembled, the soldiers there of Israel. And they're looking to Saul, whose head and shoulders above everybody else. Remember? That was his description. I think they were looking for Saul. Yeah, why don't you go out and fight him? And here comes David, the shepherd boy, too young to even be in the army, to bring food for his you know, brothers. And, and he hears you know, uh, Goliath there that is challenging and putting down uh, the Lord and putting down the armies of Israel. And he said, you know, are you going to let this uncircumcised Philistine do that? Don't we have a cause? I'll take him on. And you know how he took five stones and Goliath went down. And usually if you have like two champions going at it, they go at it for perhaps a day or two. It's a long battle. Uh Uh-uh, not Goliath. He went down in just a couple minutes as David took a rock and it was a missile right between his eyes and went down with Goliath. And you think David, he was a mighty warrior and he didn't get afraid, but he did. And at this time, he was afraid. And as he gives these requests to the Lord in this psalm, he's in Gath, he's by himself, he's been captured, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Saul's been pursuing him and going after him. And he gives this request of, Lord, deliver me from death. As he's fleeing away, and as he is, he's afraid. And he does something very important when you and I become afraid. You know, I had somebody come and tell me at one time, I never get afraid, you know, and, and I thought, well, you're, you know, tougher than I am because there have been times in my life where I've become afraid. The uncertainty, the, the difficulty of the circumstance, uh, the, the, the problems that perhaps I'm facing, I can become afraid. I become afraid for myself, for my family. I can become afraid for my ministry. And I've learned one thing more and more as... I journey through life is what David is expressing to us, that when I am afraid that I will trust in you, Lord. And that's what David is expressing here in this psalm. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not fear. And what can flesh do to me? 
You see that the, the men of faith became fearful in the scriptures. It was Abraham that was exceedingly afraid. Moses became afraid. Joshua was afraid. David here. We know that even Paul the Apostle was afraid when he was on his second missionary journey there in the city of Corinth. And the Lord came to him and said, Paul, don't be afraid because I have many people in this city. and No one's going to hurt you. And I am with you, Paul. And Paul, he was to continue on as he was established in the city of Corinth in his ministry for a year and a half. And you see, the reason Paul was afraid is because that second missionary journey, as you know, as you've studied those chapters 16, 17, and 18 of the book of Acts, as he started in Philippi, he was beaten with rods. And then he was chased out of Thessalonica uh, by the Jews. And he was persecuted again as he went to Berea. And he was mocked as he was in Athens. And as he came to Corinth, he's probably thinking, as the Jews are getting very upset at him because revival breaks out, that I'm going to be beaten once again. And I'm going to be black and blue. His wounds still fresh from what happened as he was beaten up in Philippi. And the Lord says, listen, this is a promise for you that no one's going to hurt you. And that, Paul, I have many in this city, so you continue on. Paul was able to do that because he heard the promise of God. You see, it's really important that we hear the promise of God in our lives that are given to us so that we can continue to be established because fear can paralyze us, can it? And, and fear can cause us to want to quit. And fear can cause us to turn to the world's way or, or fall into temptation. And what we need to do is be ones that we trust in the Lord. And notice here that he says that in God I will praise his word. I find that interesting. There are those that might say to you and to me, you people over there at Calvary Chapel, you'd sure take Bible study pretty serious, you know, with your verse-by-verse teaching. And, and I've had those people that have made those comments that I've heard. You know, you take Bible study really serious over there at Calvary Chapel. Into it maybe a little bit too much is what the implication is. But the study of God's Word is so important so we can know His promises, so we can know the Lord Jesus Christ better and know of His love and His grace And the Word of God does so much to me. It brings comfort and it brings instruction. But notice here that David says that I will praise his word. What does that mean? We had a wonderful time of worship here tonight. And as we gather on Sundays and Wednesdays, worship is very much an important part of our Christian lives, isn't it? But here's the thing to remember, that it's not just when we gather corporately or if you're at home listening to Christian music. Those are wonderful times of worship that we can have. But it's also when we do read his word. And when we read his word, I know that many of you, if not all of you, that you've experienced this, that as you read his word and his promises and you see his faithfulness and his incredible grace, don't you just praise God in your heart? I know for me personally that my worship takes place daily as I read his word and as I meditate on his word. I want to be more like David. That David, he realized something that all of us, I pray that we would experience. And that is, as I know your word, Lord, I will praise you. And it causes us to break out in praise, doesn't it? Because of his goodness. And because of his faithfulness. And because of his love and promises that are given to us. So David, as he does praise the Lord and he trusts in the Lord and reading his word, he says, what can flesh do to me? You know that it was Jesus that would say, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but not the soul. You need to fear God who can kill both body and soul. In other words, that man may come against us, you and me, and we know that there's brothers and sisters uh, all throughout the world that are being martyred for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
but they fear God and they glorify God and they live, that is, they live for eternity. And so David, keeping the right eternal perspective as we see that he's writing this, so deliver me from death is his first request. And then he requests that, Lord, you order my steps, verse 5. And all day they twist my words and their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity and anger? Cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings and put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? And when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. And this I know because God is for me. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. And what can man do to me? I love these verses here. Because David describes how he was facing those who were twisting his words. And they gathered together. They, they marked his steps. And perhaps you find yourself in a circumstance where people are watching you. They watch us as Christians. Maybe you have those at work that are watching your steps and every move that you make. Because you're a man or woman of integrity. And you're not going to, you know... Uh, compromise and in, 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 in doing you know, right. You're, you're going to stick to your convictions and, and try to be a man and woman of integrity. And you got those who will twist your words and will watch your steps and all of this. But David knew something and he got his focus on this that really helps me. Is that he says, Lord, you know my wanderings. Lord, you know my wanderings. You know that I went over into Gath and the Philistines. Perhaps David was convicted by that. But Lord, you care about me. And Lord, you care about my tears that I shed. And David was one that shed tears. And he's not ashamed to write about that. And my tears are very important to you. My tears that I have, you put into a bottle, tear bottles. Are they not in your book? Now, you can go to the Middle East today. It was interesting. One of the trips that I took to Israel, and I was in a shop, and there was these little tear bottles. And, and I was asking the salesperson about that. And they said, the tear bottles are there so um, you can put your tears if, if you cry. And um, they were particularly what they were for, the tear bottles. If you lost a loved one, and this was important apparently in the Middle East, that you would shed tears, and it was made to where just a little bottle that you can put there, and it, those tears would go in the bottle, and then they would go to the graveside, and they would put it on the tomb. And it would be symbolizing that you're grieving for that person, for that lost one, that you had been you know, crying for them, your tears there given to them. And it was very special and very important to them. And your tears are very important to the Lord. Your wanderings are very important to the Lord. Are they not written in the book? And as I read this, I think that perhaps David maybe is talking about that book of remembrance that Malachi mentions in chapter 3. Malachi talks about a book of remembrance. And, and in that text, as you read in verses 16 through 18, it talks about uh, Malachi that a book of remembrance, aren't these things written down? When you talk about the Lord, when, when you're talking with somebody about the things of God and the praises of God, it's like his ears go up. And he's attentive, and he writes those things down in a book of remembrance. When you are shedding tears because you love the Lord or perhaps being persecuted, 
because you follow the Lord. Those tears are written down in a book. And I pray for us that when we go home to be with the Lord, I just imagine that book of remembrance here, my, your thoughts, your praises. Uh, when you were conversing about me, here it is, and I pray that those books are very, very thick for all of us. The Lord knows when you're talking about them. And they're precious to him, so precious that he writes it down. The tears are very precious. And here's a thought. Don't make a doctrine out of this, but just a thought. That we know that when we go to heaven and, and when the culmination of all things comes in a new heaven and a new earth, at the end of the book of Revelation, it says that he will wipe away all of our tears. And I just wonder, I just wonder if he'll bring out those tears of bottles of tears and maybe perhaps dump them out and say, no more tears. I've seen your crying. I know you're hurt, but no more. You're home, safe with me for all eternity. So David knew that the Lord saw him. And, and sometimes we can think, you know, Lord, maybe I shouldn't have wandered over here. Maybe I shouldn't be crying over this so much. But know this, that the Lord sees you and he hears you. And he uh, has your tears in a bottle. And he writes it down in the book of remembrance as you cry out to him. And know that he wants to minister to you. And David, as he's ministered to, again, once he knows that the Lord is going to order his steps, that he can trust in the Lord. And then as we continue, we know that in verse 9 here, this is very important, that it says, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back, and this I know because God is for me. God is for me. Perhaps David thought, oh, I went to Gath, I went to the enemy's territory. I shouldn't have done that. Is God for me? And sometimes in our frailties and in our shortcomings, and I don't know about you, but there are often times where I think, Lord, you must be kind of disappointed in me. I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be. I don't measure up like I should be. And I can be really hard on myself. And the Lord says, listen, I am for you. And don't forget that he is for you. He is for you, just as much as he was for David and desires to work in your life. So not only do you deliver me from death and order my steps, but then thirdly, I want to walk before you. And that was important to David in verse 12. Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, and have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living. So David was a man that always wanted to glorify the Lord, and he has delivered us from death, and now we walk with him as we come to him. So Psalm 57 now to the chief musician, set to... Do not destroy a Mitchtam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. First Samuel chapter 21. He's in Gath. He's able to leave. He acted insane. They said, get rid of him. And he goes to the cave of Adullam or in Gedi. Now, the cave of Adullam that we read about, we don't know exactly where that is, but we do know where Engedi is, and so perhaps in one of those two places. And as he would go to Engedi or to the cave of Adullam after he leaves Gath, chapter 22 of 1 Samuel is where the 400 men of David's mighty men gathered around him. And I just want to take note of that because David, I'm sure, as those mighty men came around him, oh, it was still difficult. There were still hard times that he went through. But David, I think, was comforted by the fact that he had these 400 men that gathered around him. And he was strengthened and encouraged by that. 
And you see, it's very important that we gather around the body of Christ. As I've mentioned over and over again, don't isolate yourself. Make sure that you are plugged in and with a group of believers and, and grow here and continue to be in fellowship. Be in a place where you can be prayed for and grow in God's word and encourage. And, and we want to be able to do that with you and for you. So you see, if you're alone, that's when the enemy can really beat you up and, and begin to discourage you. And oftentimes when people call me either here or they call me on the radio and they'll talk to me, one of the questions I ask them, because I hear from people all, you know, from all over Colorado, and I'll say, are you in a church? Well, uh, you know, used to, but we don't go anymore. And I, I tell them, be in church, be in church, be in fellowship, be with a group of believers that will pray for you and encourage you and where you can be blessed because there's strength in numbers. And David certainly found that strength when he had those 400 men that came around him. So he's writing during that time when he fled from Saul into the cave. And we read in Psalm 57, that be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. So David hiding from Saul, realizing that God is our protector. He's our refuge. And, and David having that place where he's hiding in the cave from, from Saul. And, and he knows that, Lord, not this cave is my protector. You're using it, but, Lord, ultimately you are. And you're going to see me through these calamities, and they will pass by. And then in verse 2, we read that I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. And in that pause, shalah, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. So he cries out for God's mercy because Saul wanted to, of course, crush him and swallow him up. But he's trusting God because he performs all things for me. I love that little phrase. Lord, you perform all things for me. In other words, everything is going to filter through you and through your love. You perform all things for me. You're going to take care of me. You're going to work on my behalf. You're going to see your purposes and, and your plan come to pass for my life. And I can trust you for that. And David goes on to write in verse 4, My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. And they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me, and to the midst of it they themselves have fallen. So David describes his enemies like lions and who want to destroy their prey and tear them to pieces. And they even set up traps. But David says something very interesting here, that at the end of verse 6, they have dug a pit before me. Um, into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. In other words, the pit that they dug to, to have me fall into it, God worked in such a way that they ended up falling into that pit. And listen, this is really important because David, at this time in his life and throughout his life, he really wanted to do what was right in the situation that he was in. He wanted to, to react to Saul in a, in a godly way. He didn't want to take matters into his own hands. And so they dig a pit 
and God was working into where Saul would fall into that pit. Uh, they would end up, you know, being trapped themselves, and they couldn't get at David. And many of you have found that to be true in your life. You see, when we have others that come against us, make sure that you're doing what is right and honorable before God. Don't react out of the flesh. You don't try to be vengeful. But even those who dig a pit that you will see, and many of you have experienced this, that they will end up falling into their own pit, falling into their own trap. Because God's working for you and honoring you and what you're doing and desiring to do what is righteous before him. Very important that we let God determine how it is that we react to a situation. It's like Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, an elderly man. Uh, it was Darius, that's the king of the Persians. And, and Daniel's got authority in the kingdom. And the other uh, governmental officials hated Daniel. And so they come up with this plan. So Daniel will be thrown into a pit. Uh, hey, Darius, if, if there's anyone that, that prays to anyone but, but you, let them be thrown into the pit of lions. And Daniel went and prayed to his God as he always did. And Daniel was thrown into the pit of lions, even though Darius tried to get out of that. But we know that God protected him, right? We know the story of Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. And as the king who really cared for, for Daniel, as, as he would cry out the next morning, Daniel, are you there? And Daniel would answer. And Daniel was saved from the mouths of the lions. That it was those men that plotted against Daniel were thrown into the pit and torn into pieces. We know that it was there in the book of Numbers. That it was some of the leaders of the children of Israel that came against Aaron and Moses. Against Aaron particularly in the ministry that he was called to do. And it was, you know, Korah that would say, listen, we're special, and Dathan and, and some of the others. You take too much upon yourselves, you guys. Well, we're special too. And, and Korah, he wanted to be the high priest. And all of a sudden, in that rebellion, we see that the Lord opened up the earth and they fell into a pit. Listen, you try to be vengeful. You try to take matters into your own hands. You rebel. What's going to happen is you're going to end up in the pit. But what you and I are to do is to be lifted high, as David says, that as I trust in you and as I just let you protect me and as I let you perform all things in my life, you're the one that's going to set my feet upon the rock. You are the one that's going to give me a firm stand and I won't slip because the Lord's going to honor that in our lives as we desire to do what is right. So David understood that, says that here in verse 6. But then in, in verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. Uh, I, I like this. I will awaken the dawn. He says, My heart is steadfast. How is it that we have a steadfast heart? You worship the Lord. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? When you're going through difficulties, when you're going through hardship, when you have others that are coming against you. But David was one that he says that I'm going to praise the Lord. I want to be more like this. But what caught my attention was I will awaken the dawn. Not the dawn will awaken me. That's why I want to be more like David. I will awaken the dawn. 
It's like David is saying, I can't wait for the break of day. I'm already up waiting to praise the Lord. You see, with me, oftentimes, the dawn awakens me. I'm tired, Lord. I just want to sleep a little bit longer. And I know none of you experience that or go through that yourselves. (laughs) But it can be hard, isn't it? But David says, I awaken the dawn. I can't wait to worship you. Can you see why he was called a man after God's own heart? To worship you, even in the midst of this difficulty that I'm going through, being pursued by Saul and his 3,000 men coming after me. In verse 9, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. And it's interesting that we see that David here, he praises God to deliver him. He exalts the Lord and realizes that, Lord, you're not just you know, the, the Lord of, of Israel, but I'm going to praise you because you're the, the Lord to be exalted above all the nations. So David had that understanding, that he was Lord of all the earth. And now Psalm 58 to the chief musician said to do not destroy a Mitchtam of David. And then Psalm 58 is believed that David wrote this really towards the end of his life as he writes, Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No, in heart you work wickedness. and You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. So when Saul did pursue David... He led the nation, we know, into ruin in a couple ways. First of all, spiritually. See, Saul was so into himself. Saul was one that wanted to exalt himself. Saul was one that didn't trust in the Lord. And it was the Ark of the Covenant that was there in Kirjath-Jerim, and he didn't do anything about it. And, and spiritually, Saul didn't do anything to benefit the nation, and the nation was in actually spiritual decline because Saul was so pressed on pursuing David and the jealousies and his leadership and his men around him were corrupt as well. They, the men uh, spoke lies, as David has already written. And here, as he's writing this, he's talking about the, the corruption of Saul's men, perhaps judges in the land, the lawless leaders of the land. And that's what was happening during Saul's reign. But also we know that militarily that the nation was coming into ruin as well because Saul was so busy pursuing David that the Philistines got stronger and stronger. And then as you end First Samuel, and in the first chapter of Second Samuel, you see the account of Saul and his sons being killed in battle as the Philistines overran them and went clear up into the northern part of Israel. And, and, and took all of that and ran the people out of their cities. And you can go to one place, Beth Shemesh, and as you go there, it's a Roman province, one of the ten cities of the Decapolis, but then just right next to it is the old ancient city in Israel, Beth Shemesh, and that's where Jonathan, you know, his, his body was pinned to the wall there. And, and his son, and as you walk up there, that Tel Dan and you look around, you see the Jordan River right there. On the other side of the Jordan River is Jordan. That's how far the Philistines came over into that area. And you look at Mount Gilboa that's right there where they were killed. And then you see the stream where Gideon, before that in the days of the judges, had took his men down to drink out of the brook. It's very fascinating as you look at it all geographically. 
But the nation was in ruins because Saul had neglected the word of God and the things of God in running the nation. So he continues, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like a poison of a serpent. Kind of interesting here, because we're all born sinners, aren't we? And we need God's help, and we need his salvation, and we need his Holy Spirit to be able to be a new creation in Christ and to walk with him, to not fulfill the desires of the flesh, as we walk in the Spirit. And so here are these guys. They lived after the flesh. Their poison is like a serpent. They're like the, a deaf cobra that stops its ears, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. And verse 6, Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually when he bends his bow. And let his arrow be as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman, that they may not see the sun. David here, as he sees that not only him, but other innocent people just suffering because of the injustice and the corrupt leaders, Saul and, and, and his leaders and the judges, it made David very upset and angry. And David, remember, as he prays here, he's saying, Lord, just break their teeth. Break out their fangs. You know, bend the arrow, break it. And remember that David is expressing his anger. He did not do any of these things. But in the honesty of his heart, he is expressing them. Lions without teeth are severely limited. Water soaked in the ground isn't going to be like a a broken, you know, runaway flash flood. It won't destroy Broken arrows can't be used. God, you deal with them in a serious way. And listen, David, as I have mentioned to you, was a mighty warrior, and he could have done that. He could have broken Saul's teeth. He had opportunity. When David's in the cave there in in Gedi, it's a large cave, he's there with his men, all of a sudden Saul shows up. He goes into the cave to take care of business. And the guys are going, all right, David, this is it, the day of deliverance. Go over there and lop his head off. So David sneaks over there, and he just takes a little corner of Saul's coat, cuts it off. And even when he did that, he felt very convicted. And he addressed Saul, and he addressed his men. And he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And I think the Lord's anointed You're the anointed one, David. You're the one that had Samuel come to your father's house and anoint you the king. Saul's been rejected. But David wanted to minister in such a way to grow in integrity and in honesty and character of the Lord that he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. What was he saying? That that position that Saul had was very, very prestigious and important, was looked up to to be respected, especially in those ancient days. And the only way that that king was to be put out was by death. And Lord, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let you do it. You put him in his position of king. You've rejected him, and I'm going to let you take care of it. Why didn't you lop his head off, David? Because God was working in David in a way where he would totally trust in the Lord 
and I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And that's such a hard lesson to learn for all of us. You know, one of the things that, that I've kind of learned is when I find myself in difficulties and in trials is because God wants to work. When I find myself in a fix is because he wants to fix me. Right? He wants to fix me in a way that where I'm trusting in him to where that persecution or that trial is going to lead to endurance, which will lead then to integrity, which will lead then to character, as Paul, the great apostle, writes in Romans chapter 5, which then leads to hope, and hope does not disappoint. And as all of us, we allow the Lord to fix us in the fixes that we find ourselves in, And what we're going to find is he is our hope and he will not disappoint. Oh, it doesn't mean it's not going to be, you know, easy. It's going to be hard. It will be difficult. But he does a work in us as we allow him to do that. And we may not understand how he's going to work or how things are going to pan out. And we may not know about some of the situations that we find ourselves in until we get to the other side of eternity. But know this, and this is really important for all of us, and this is where it can get kind of hard, very hard. Is Lord, whatever situation I find myself in, I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to rely on you. And you are going to direct my steps. And Lord, for you to grow me, and for me to be a man or woman of your word and a man or woman of praise. And somehow, some way, you're going to glorify God and you're going to grow tremendously. And you're going to see that God is going to work things out for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And that's what David was finding out here. Oh, he could have very easily broken the teeth of Saul. And we can get upset and we can pray things, Lord, you deal with it. And in the honesty of our hearts, we can tell the Lord that. And that's what David is doing here. But then he says, before your pots can feel the, the burning, take them away as with the whirlwind, is living in burning wrath. So here is, he's saying, Lord, deal with these guys and, and, and you know, take their teeth away, bend their bows. You know? Let them be like a snail that melts away as it goes. Um, when I was reading that this afternoon, it reminded me when we were kids that we used to get snails or, you know, slugs. And we used to pour salt on them. (laughs) Yeah, we were kind of (laughs) weird. We assaulted them. So, and they'd melt away. That's what it reminded me of. (laughs) Verse 10, let's move on. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. You know, now kids play videos and stuff. They don't have fun like that, but... (laughs) shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked so that men will say surely there is a reward for the righteous surely he is God who judges in the earth so as we finish this we see that David knew that the time was going to come when the Lord's going to rule and reign and that he's going to bring righteousness rule with the rod of iron the rod of righteousness is what he's going to do and righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea I, I look forward to that day when we see all the wickedness around us, all the evil and darkness that is around us, and it's getting darker, isn't it? Day by day, it's getting darker. 
And it's like, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. Can't wait for you to come. Well, Psalm 59, to the chief musician, set to do not destroy it, Mitch Tam of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. So again, he's describing what took place in 1 Samuel chapter 19. David with his wife Michael, and, and Michael was Saul's daughter, his first wife, and, and Saul sent men when he determined he was going to kill David, that we see that, that David uh, is warned by Michael that my father is sending men, and they were going to come and kill David in his sleep. And as we read this psalm, he writes, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For, uh, for look, they lie in wait for my life. The, the mighty gather against me. Not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. There in verse 4 when he says, no, Through no fault of mine. In First Samuel chapter 18, is as Saul was just jealous of David. That's what would begin that um, progression of Saul wanting to kill David. Remember that David, he kills Goliath in, in chapter 16, is it? And then he's anointed, chapter 17. And he is the um, armor bearer to Saul. He's ministering to Saul there with music as Saul has this distressing spirit that comes upon him. And then as they went out to war... It was the people in the villages, the women that were singing songs towards David. Hey, Saul's killed his thousand, but David is ten thousands. And that just made Saul very angry. Here's the thing that we need to understand about Saul. He was very self-centered. We see that in 1 Samuel 15 when he was told to kill all the Amalekites and, and destroy them, completely wipe them out. And what does Saul do? He, he brings back the best of the sheep and the oxen and he comes back in and, and a you know, great parade and he had set himself a monument for himself, it says, there at Carmel. He goes... He has a victory over the Amalekites, but he brings back the best of the sheep and the oxen. He disobeys God, and he brings back Agai, the king of the Amalekites. He sets up a monument of himself, and Carmel, look at me. I'm a great king, and, you know, this is where everybody can see it. He comes back, and he says to Samuel, I'll perform all that the Lord has commanded me. And um, it was Samuel that said, really? Then what's the bond of sheep? Oh, I brought this back for a sacrifice. So bless me before the people. Who's this guy? It's a guy. He brought him back as a trophy. And of course, he was rebuked. And he kept saying as he was rebuked, God has rejected you, Saul, is what Samuel did. Samuel grieved in his heart to be able to say that. And it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And it was the response of Saul, bless me before the people, bless me before the people, uh, I'm sorry, what was he saying? He was saying, I want to look good before the people. Don't do this, you know, kind of quit getting all intense, man. Quit getting on me. I did mostly what I was supposed to do, but bless me for the people, you know. Make me look bad here. That's what I think what was going on here. So David here is, is he's writing this. He says, through no fault of my own. So here is Saul, he's jealous of David. And it says that he kept watching David, and then he hated David. He said, why don't you just give him the kingdom already? 
They're singing songs about him. And then he throws the spear at David and wants him dead. And it says in chapter 18, there in verse 14, that David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. You and I, as we have already talked about tonight, as the souls that come against us in our lives, you behave wisely, all right? And you're going to find that the Lord, you'll perceive that he is with you in a very wonderful and a very special way, just as David would find that out through those years that Saul came after him. So as he continues, verse 5, as he says, You therefore, Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. And then that pause that is there, as God is our protector that, that wants to work, at evening they return, they growl like a dog, they go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouths. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in Darison. I will wait for you, you O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desires on my enemies. So again, he's recognizing that God wants to work for him as they're hunting David down. But God knew what they were doing, those enemies of David. In verse 11, do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down. O Lord, our shield, for the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride for the cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath, consume them, that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth, Shalah. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud to your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. So Saul's eyes were on David and having jealousy, sending men to hunt him down, even wanting to kill him in his sleep. Where was David's focus? It's where our focus needs to be. And that is on the Lord. Quickly, Psalm 16, then we'll be done. To the chief musician, said to the lily of the testimony, uh, Mitch Tam of David for teaching when he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobah. And Job returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. So here, this psalm, as we read it, it was written perhaps, as you read in 2 Samuel chapter 8 and 1 Chronicles 18, when David was defeating his enemies all around him. And apparently, David's up north in Syria, and all of a sudden, the Edomites down south attacked Israel, and they did a great deal of damage. So apparently, Joab took some of the troops along with Abba Ashai, 1 Chronicles 18 tells us, defeated the Edomites in the Valley of Salt. And that's where this psalm that we'll go over very quickly uh, talks about. As, O oh God, you have cast us off, you have broken us down, you have been displeased, O oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaken. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. And we read in verse 4, You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save your right hand and hear me. So David and Israel were in trouble at this time, and a new battle had brought despair to them. Has that ever happened to you? You got one battle going on, and all of a sudden another battle comes up. 
and it brings great despair, and it feels like the, you know, the water is rushing, the dam has broke, the, the earth has shook, just as David here is experiencing in, 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 in that poetic language, healed the breaches for its shaking, and you made the earth tremble, this earthquake around me. You made us drink the, uh, the cup of confusion like they're staggering. They don't know what to do. And the problems that come against us hit us to where we feel like we're staggering. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. That I just feel like I'm just staggering. Lord, what do I do? But David recognized something, that we're under your banner. We like to be under banners, you know. We like to, Broncos are going to start training camp here this week. And big Bronco fans and under the banners, which is fine. That's great. But I like to be under the banner of Jesus. Make sure you place yourself under his banner, which speaks of, of relationship and commitment and, and of, you know, dedication to him and also that protection is what it speaks of. So as we finish, God has spoken in this holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Sakoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is also the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philistia shout and trumpet because of me. And he will bring me to the strong city. Uh, many believe that speaking of Petra. Petra, amazing city there where the Edomites ruled. It's a city carved out of the rocks. It's about the size of Manhattan. It is also the city that is believed that when in the future, when the Antichrist comes against the Jews in the middle of the tribulation period, that they're going to flee to the rock city of Petra, those remnant of Jews, and are going to be protected there. So he talks about the strong city. He will lead me to Edom. It is not you, O God, who cast us off, and you, O God, who did not go out with our armies. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Know this, even as we sang tonight, even as we sang, that God is able. He's the one that gives us victories. And David, here, we've been attacked. It feels like we're going to be defeated. But I know that you are able, Lord, that you are able. And he is able, and he gives us victory. He's given us victory through Jesus Christ. And he desires to give you victory in your life. So, Father, thank you. We thank you for these these. Mitch Tams that we've read, these golden psalms, David expressing his trust in you during the times of battle and difficulties and hardship and being afraid. And Lord, it encourages us that we can trust in you and praise you and do righteously, all these things that we talked about tonight. And I pray that they would be worked out in our lives. Oh, Lord, help us to be ones that we learn from this as we grow in your word and apply them in our lives. Father, thank you for tonight. And I do pray if there's anyone here that maybe you're listening on live stream or maybe you're going to listen to this message later, maybe on the radio. Maybe tonight there's somebody here that you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. He loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he came and he died for you. And even as David recognized, we're all born sinners. And that's the message of the gospel. None of us 
uh, are perfect. We've fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life, the Son of God, came and died for you. And he loves you. And he desires for you to come to salvation. For you to be forgiven because you see Jesus died on the cross for you. And he died for your sins. And he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. And he is your salvation. There is none other. You can't save yourself. A church can't save you. No other religious leader died for you and rose from the grave. They're all in the grave. Only Jesus came forth. And he is the Son of God. And he says, come and believe in me and put your faith and trust in him. Turn from where you're going, repent, and surrender to Jesus. And cry out to him. And come to salvation. And surrender your life to him fully. And you can do that right where you're at. Right where you're at, whether you're listening live stream at home or, or whether you're here in this place. You can pray that, Jesus, I come to you a sinner. And I confess that I am a sinner. And I pray that you would forgive me. I believe that you're the Son of God who died for my sins and you rose again from the grave. You're alive. You're knocking on the door of my heart and I now ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior to sit upon the throne of my life. That you would direct my steps. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. And thank you for making me new and making me alive spiritually. Help me to live for you. And if anybody did pray that tonight, will you come up and see me as we close the service and tell me the decision that you made so I can pray with you and for you. But Lord, I pray that as we go our way, that our trust would be in you and that you would establish our steps. that we would awaken the dawn with a heart desiring to worship you and to know you more and to trust and know that you are able to perform all things that pertain to us for your glory. So we thank you, Lord, for this night. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. God is good. Would you please stand?